We've been up there for some time, and uh, we were, we, we were uh, coming down, and it seemed like the guy that was driving the Bible tonight and turned to Malachi, would you, this afternoon? Malachi in the Word of God, Malachi in the Scripture, <clears throat> Malachi chapter 1. We're going to go through the whole book of Malachi, and uh, we're going to go through it verse by verse. And read every verse so nobody can fall asleep during this entire time. And just to avert that whole disaster, uh, because I saw some of you taking two desserts, and I know that you're about to go into a, a, a diabetic coma. So just to avert that, uh, I took two desserts, so don't feel bad. Anyway, just to avert that whole disaster, I need somebody that looks uh, very much like the Lord. I need, I need a side that looks very much like the Lord. All right, I'm going to go with this side over here. This side over here, Brother Ken has got that distinguished beard. In fact, there's beards on this side. In fact, I don't even know if there are any beards. Oh, there's one beard on that side. It's okay. But uh, that long, distinguished beard over here, the beards have it on this side, uh, on the men. Anyway, um, uh, we're going to go with uh, the Lord. This side is going to be the Lord. And this side over here, I I need a side that looks uh, kind of rebellious and just a little bit uh, kind of like... Uh, this side right here. Perfect. Okay. This side right here. Good. We're going to go with this side and, uh, that's, that's good. So, so now what we're going to do is we're going to find out questions in the book of Malachi, questions and statements, words, you can put it that way. If you're taking notes, words from a, a loving God and a rebellious people. That's what I want to preach to you on this evening or this afternoon. Uh, We'll try not to go deep into the evening. But uh, words from a a loving God and a rebellious people. Malachi is the last prophet. He was uh, a part of the great assembly. He was a a powerful prophet and he was used of the Lord in a mighty way to call people's attention. After Malachi, you have 400 silent years. Wouldn't you want to hear what the Lord has to say before he goes silent for 400 years? I mean, 400 years is a little, almost twice as old as America. 400 silent years. Whew. That's hard to believe. Where there was no open vision. There were times in the past when God was silent to his people. In the book of 1 Samuel begins, and it says there was no open vision in the land. So that's why Samuel didn't just readily recognize that the Lord was speaking to him when he came to him the first time. And... Uh, And so part of the reason why God grows silent is because, one, he's judging us, and two, he's letting us have our own way. Now, it's not a good thing when God goes silent. And thank the Lord, he's not silent right now. He's preaching through his pastors and his evangelists and through his preachers all across the world. But boy, sometimes it feels like God goes silent in our lives. uh, Sometimes that's not always judgment. And, and sometimes it's not always uh, us. Uh, sometimes it's not always us living in rebellion. But in this case, it is. So I want to see and I want to diagnose this afternoon what a loving God is saying and what a rebellious people is saying. What the conversation is just before God goes silent for 400 years. Wouldn't you be interested in that? I would be. And so this side right here, this distinguished looking side, uh, is going to be the Lord. And, and this side right here is going to be the rebellious people. You can use a highlighter if you want to, or a, a pen or a, a certain symbol. But we're going to find out the statements from the Lord and the statements from a rebellious people. Sometimes they're going to be statements. Sometimes they're going to be questions. So let's begin. Lord, help us to understand your word and Malachi as we just try to diagnose this and, and dissect this. And Lord, I pray that we would tune our ears to listen to the words of a loving God. And that we would not be a part of those that would be dissentious and rebellious and unteachable. Help us to learn what the conversation was before you went silent for 400 years. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So Malachi is the prophet. He's preaching the burden of his heart. The word of the Lord is given to him. Verse number two, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Would that be a statement from a loving God or from a rebellious people? Which? All right, so you got that on this side. Mark it down. Highlight it. Put a star next to it. Yet ye say, 
wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Would that be a statement from a, a rebellious people or from a loving God? Rebellious people, that's right. Now, y'all just don't shy away from this, this uh, task that you're given. Just own up to it and, and play the part real good. So you're, you're the rebellious people, so just play that part real good, okay? It's, it's not, a, it's not a, an understanding of your character. We're just trying to figure out what's going on in Malachi. All right, here, is it, an, is, it is? Oh, okay, that's why Pastor sat on this side. Okay, <laughs> all right, look at it. All right, so we have two statements. The rebellious people has one uh, question, two questions, and we have a statement from a loving God. I have loved you, saith the Lord. So Lord said, look at how he ends verse 2. Yet I have loved Jacob. All right. Notice verse 3. And I hated Esau. Now, let me just pause and say, as far as Bible interpretation goes, terms of emotion are terms of comparison. God would have gladly allowed Esau into heaven. He would have gladly allowed Esau to a place of repentance. But he's speaking here about comparison. He chose Jacob. He did not choose Esau. He chose Jacob for the blessing. He did not choose Esau. And by the way, Esau played the part. Uh, I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Esau was the brother that didn't deem the birthright very valuable, and and he lost the blessing. And, And by the way, for hundreds of years afterwards, the children of Esau, does anybody know who the children of Esau are? What their name is in the Bible? Anybody know? It means red. Anybody know what their name was? What? The Edomites, that's right. The Edomites are the children of Esau, and there was a fomenting hatred against Jacob and the descendants of Jacob from the descendants of Esau. And that goes all the way to the book of Obadiah. Boy, you want to study on unforgiveness, study Esau and Edom. All the way to Obadiah until God sent his prophet Obadiah and said, that's it, you're over, you're out, you're you're done. And he destroyed the Edomites. He says, verse 3, And I hated Esau and laid his mountains waste and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. All right, he's talking about Esau. They, he says, I've loved you. And the rebellious people say, wherein have we? Right? They proved to us that you've loved us. Proved to us. Now, you know, you have to have your eyes way off of God to say that he doesn't love you. And you have to have your heart far, far away from the Lord to say that he doesn't love you. And, and, and he's, they said, wherein hast thou loved us? You've, you've, you've just, uh, you've, uh, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Esau and Jacob are the same. And yet God says, yet I love Jacob. All right. So right away, you do have two clear statements from the Lord and two clear questions uh, from from a rebellious people. And then he describes to say, this is Esau. And they said, we're going to rebuild. And God says, every time you rebuild, I'm going to throw down. I've loved Jacob. Remember, he's speaking to Israel. Verse one, the word of the Lord from his prophet Malachi. Verse number six, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? If I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priests that despise my name. Is this a question or a statement from a, a loving God or from a rebellious people? A loving God or a rebellious people? Loving God, that's right. If I be a father, where's mine honor? That's a legitimate question for a dad to ask. If I be a master, where's my fear? Where is it? And he asked it in such a powerful way. And he asked it to the priests that despise his name. Wow. You, you want to know why God has gone silent or goes silent after this book? Because the priest had no, dis- no regard for his name. The leaders that were supposed to be spiritual leaders and spiritual examples, they despised his name. Wow. Look at verse number six. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Is that a question from a loving God or from a rebellious people? Which is it? Ah, rebellious people. Wherein have we despised thy name? We're we're, we're not guilty of what you say we're guilty of. Oh, Oh, yes, you are. 
Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. In other words, they were giving their leftovers to God. They weren't giving their best. When you came with the sacrifice, you were to come with a perfect lamb, not a spotted lamb. When you came with bread for the showbread and the priests offered the showbread, they weren't supposed to put polluted bread, but they'd get the leftovers to God and they'd eat the best. They'd get the best. Hmm. And there's this back and forth all the way through the book. Let's keep reading. Verse number 8, And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Is this from a loving God or from a rebellious people? This is from a loving God. You offer the blind for a sacrifice? Will your governor accept that? You would give something to your governor that was better than what you're giving to God. So obviously, the priests had been polluted. The sacrifices had been polluted. And now they think that God doesn't love them or care about them. And God is questioning, saying, uh, where's my honor? I do love you. I've chosen you above Esau. Verse number 9. And now I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? You see, watch now. Watch, watch. I don't want you to lose sight of what's going on in Malachi. In Malachi, God is asking some questions and making some statements uh, to a people that are rebellious and resentful. And the priests are polluted and the people are polluted and the sacrifices are polluted. He says, all right, you better you, you, you offer your sacrifices to the governor. Would you give him an evil sacrifice, a spotted sacrifice, a blemished sacrifice, polluted bread? And yet you do that to me. You don't care anything about the house of God. You don't care anything about the worship of of God, somebody, somebody had begun to whisper in the ears of the Israelites at this time something bad about God. And by the way, you need to always be on your alert and always watching because the devil is always trying to whisper lies about God. If I were the devil, I would do everything I could. I'd make up lies every hour of the day that I could whisper in people's ears about God. If he really loved you, would this situation be? If he really loved you, wouldn't you get your prayers answered? If he really loved you, would you be so desolate? If he really loved you, would you be here? Look at all the bad things. He, I would focus on the bad and I'd blame it all on God. And so that, they, that had created some distance between them and, and, and a, really a wedge between them and God. He says, you better beseech the Lord. Will God regard your persons? He's not going to be impressed with this priest as this had become so political in their day. Verse number 10, you thought politics was just 2020, 2021. Who is there among you that would shut the doors for naught? Uh, neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. Now, God loves us. How is it that God can love a people and yet have no pleasure in them at the same time? Well, God's love is constant. God's love is unconditional. But God's not always pleased with us. I don't have to earn God's love. I don't have to earn his favor. He loves me, period. But he doesn't, he's not always pleased with me, period. It doesn't work that way. In the book of Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in God brings us peace with God. But in 1 Corinthians, he talks about uh, 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 knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men in the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. And he says, we are, we are laboring to be accepted of him. There's a difference between having peace with God and be accepted, accepted in the beloved and being accepted of him. The one has to do with salvation through faith. The other has to do with me seeking to please him. He said, I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. Is that from a resentful people or a loving God? That's from a loving God. Wow. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name. Wait, wait, wait. Stop right now. We're, let's see, we're mountain time. So there's Pacific time is just an hour behind us. And then it goes all the way over to Alaska. Alaska's on a different time zone, isn't it? Uh, at least part of Alaska. And then Hawaii. All right. So, but all over the world today. From the Dateline, way out there in the Pacific, all over the world today, people have been praising God. Gentiles. Now, we see that, right? 
But wouldn't this be a little bit disconcerting if this was said to a Jew? The Jews, what? Notice again what he says, verse number 11. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Yes, that's awesome. Did you know today, just today, all over the world, in fact, you didn't even have to go all over the world before it surpassed every politician or king that has ever lived combined. People have gathered all over the world today to praise Jesus and to lift up his name, just like we did a few hours ago. And we exalted and magnified his name and we prayed to him and we worshiped him and we adored him all over the world. And that happens every single Sunday and many times twice a Sunday and throughout the world. That's something to say amen about. Amen. You know, look, I grew up in Minnesota, so I know that sometimes people don't always know when to say amen. In fact, where I grew up, you, you weren't allowed to say amen. It was against the rules. Now, folks like for the Becks from North Carolina, they amen the announcements. But up in Minnesota, you know, uh, you know, it's not always that way. There was a, in church I grew up in, there was this $50,000 pipe organ. And uh, if people really got excited in my church, they'd write amen on a card and hold it up and hope nobody saw it. That's about the extent of it. Uh, but, but, you know, that's a good place to say amen right there, that Jesus is being praised all over over the world. And uh, look at what he says, verse number 11. He says, uh, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Is this from a loving God or from a rebellious people? Why? Wouldn't you want to get in on the conversation that God has with his chosen people just before he goes silent for 400 years? That's what we're doing. That's what we're seeing right here. And he says, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, my name shall be praised by the Gentiles. And they'll offer a pure offering. You're not offering a pure offering. Even though I've loved you and you should show love to me as a father and, and honor to me as, a, as a, uh, a fear to me as a master and honor to me as a father. Look at verse 12. But ye have profaned it. In that ye say, the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. You're acknowledging that you see that this, this sacrifice has been corrupted. Ye said also, behold, what a weariness is it. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? Again, he is speaking of the polluted sacrifice. Is verse 13 from a loving God or from a rebellious people? Loving God, loving God. And, and, and you brought this in verse number, uh, in verse number uh, 13, he's, you've, stuffed, you've snuffed at it and you, you've brought that which was lame and torn and that which was, should I accept this? No, no, I shouldn't accept this. This is something bad. In verse number 12, they said the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit thereof, even his meat is contemptible. Who is saying that? A loving God or a rebellious people? The rebellious people who have corrupted the priesthood, who have corrupted the sacrifices, who have corrupted the offerings, they're, they're saying, yeah, it's, it's, it's not worthless. Give it to God. It's, it's, it's not worth much. Verse number 14. But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Whew. You see, preacher? God's name is dreadful among the heathen? Oh, yeah. Do you remember when Jonah... Remember, he, he said, I, I'm not doing what God says. God says go, and Jonah says no. And he doesn't say it verbally, he just does it. That's the way most of our rebellion is, by the way. It's not verbal. I mean, most of us wouldn't dare. Come down in the front of the church, lift their fist in the face of God, and shout obscenities or blasphemies or even words contrary to his commands. We just do it with our life. We just go directly contrary to what he says. And so he gets down in the boat. He pays the fare. He's down in the boat and God stirs up the waters in that bathtub. And, and the people in the boat are running crazy. And their cap, captain of the boat, the shipmaster, comes down and says, What meanest thou, O sleepers? Arise, O sleeper. And, and he gets up. He said, Cry unto your God. Maybe he'll save you. And... and and, and then they cry, and Jonah cries, and nothing seems to work. And so they, they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. And the first thing they say is, what is your occupation? I always think about that when I fill in my occupation, when I'm filling in a customs form going into another country or coming into America. What is your occupation, evangelist? What a shameful thing he had to say when he looked at them in the eyes and said, I, I'm a preacher. 
And I serve and worship the Most High God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. What did all those men do? Godless, pagan, Gentile men. They began to fear. Why? Because they know who God is. It's written in their heart. The Bible says that God hath revealed itself un- himself unto him so that they're without excuse. He's revealed even the Godhead to them. Oh, remember when Rahab, the harlot, took in the spies? And, and, and she said, look, we know that your God is the true God. And she said, we're scared half to death. Now, isn't that interesting? Because the spies that said something back in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 said, they're like giants and we're like grasshoppers. That was their perspective of unbelief. Her perspective of faith was, your God is the biggest. And we know you're going to win. The the Gentiles know. They may try to suppress it. They may try to blaspheme. They may try to fight against it. But they know. Wow. Let's look at chapter 2. Quickly. Let's look at chapter 2. We're going to be done before 2.30. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Is this from a loving God or from a rebellious people? Loving God. All right, the loving God uh, category, you get two more verses. So far, he's been doing the most talking, by the way. But he's highlighting what they're saying. He's saying to the priest, you better do it. You better stop the polluted offering. You better stop giving me the refuse. You better stop doing what you yourself have said. The table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit thereof, even his meat is contemptible. Verse number three, behold, I will corrupt your seed. And spread dung upon your faces. Now I live in an agri- I'm preaching in an agricultural community. You all know what that means. That's not a pretty sight right there. Even the dung of your solemn feasts. And one shall take you away with it. You know what they did with the dung? The priests, when they offered the sacrifice, they would take and they would, they would, they, they would cut out all the guts. Kind of like you're gutting a deer, gutting an elk, or gutting a moose or an animal. They would take all of that and they would take it out. By the way, this is really a wonderful thought for those of you that maybe haven't thought about it. What did the tabernacle and the temple smell like? A steakhouse. That's a good place to say amen right there. Anyway, uh, uh, it must have been wonderful. I mean, it was constantly a burnt offering was burning in the morning and a burnt offering was burning. I mean, better than Burger King. That's what it smelled like constantly. Wow. And uh, so uh, uh, the vegan uh, animal worshipers wouldn't survive. Anyway, uh, here they had and, and they would take all the entrails and the dung and they would have to put that in a place. Constantly. The priests were no wimps. You had to be strong men. I mean, like Western Montana men to be able to lift in these cows and these bullocks and these goats and they're killing them and their blood is flowing down around it and there's a burnt offering going. And that's why they had the labor just before the priests went into the holy place. And, but they would take the entrails of it and they would take it out by the brook Kidron. He said, if you don't fix this problem of offering maimed and halt and blemished animals and you don't fix the offering, what, what was he saying? The worship is wrong. Now, I've said this the last few weeks, and I'm saying it tonight. You cut this book in any place, and two words will bleed out. Worship and relationship. That's what this book is about. Having a right worship of the Lord and having a right relationship with the Lord and others. You can't have a right worship with the Lord until you get saved. Once you get saved, all of a sudden everything starts to make sense and you worship the Lord properly. Otherwise, your worship is completely in vain. And and you can't have a right worship with the Lord if you're not right with others. And you can't have a right worship with the Lord if you're worshiping something else. This book bleeds worship and relationship. And that's what Malachi is about. You've got a wrong worship with me. You've got a wrong relationship to me. Though you have a, So you have a wrong relationship with others get it right he says to the priest fix this problem fix the problem verse number uh, three i'm going to corrupt your seed i'll spread dung upon your faces that was repulsive to these jewish priests and ye shall know that i have sent this commandment unto you that my covenant might be with levi saith the lord of hosts this is from a loving god My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity 
and did turn many from iniquity. Well, wow, that's a powerful, somebody ought to grab that verse and preach a message from it. Just verse six, the law of truth was in his mouth. The word of God mattered to him and iniquity was not found in his lips. Sin was repulsive to him. He walked with me in peace and equity. That means he had a heart that was right with God and he had a peaceful walk with God and did turn many away from iniquity. That means he was a soul winner. He's speaking of Levi and he's speaking of the priesthood. And by the way, do you know why God loved East Jacob in, instead of Esau and chose Jacob? Well, he did it for three reasons. Number one, so that he could po- provide the Bible through the people called the descendants of Jacob. So that he could provide the Messiah through the people called the descendants of Jacob. And so that he could glorify himself. They were to be, ladies and gentlemen, a soul winning people by honoring God and honoring the priesthood and honoring the sacrifice. And people from all over the world would come as proselytes like Rahab, like the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, like others in the Bible. And they would worship the one true God and they would know who the one true God was because of the pure worship of the Jews. And now the worship is not pure. Just before God grows silent, just before his judgment descends, just before he lets Israel have their own way, just before, what does he say? He says, you better fix this. If you don't fix this, I'm going to curse your blessing. Verse number seven, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law in his mouth, at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. I mean, of all places that you don't want corrupted, you don't want the pulpit corrupted. You don't want the priesthood corrupted. You don't want God's people to corrupted. By the way, did you know what happened when God saved you? He made you a believer priest. So he's saying this to you and me as well. Our worship needs to be right. We need to be pure in our worship. We need to be faithful in our worship, not neglect our worship. Verse number eight, but ye are departed out of the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Can you think of any priests that weren't right, quite right in the Old Testament? I'm not talking about not quite right up here. I'm talking about not quite right right here. Can you think of any priests in the Old Testament? I'm deep reaching down deep after lunch to see how sharp you are. Eli, Eli was a priest. How about Hophni and Phinehas? Those were corrupted priests. How about Aaron's sons? Nadab and Abihu, God killed them. How about the priest that was in Ahaz's day? I don't know if we know his name or not, but he was the high priest in Ahaz's day. Ahaz went to make a wicked league with Tiglath-Pileser, and he saw, while he was over there visiting a wicked king, uh, an idol. And he sent back the, the schematics or the plans for that idol and told the high priest to build it. Instead of the high priest tearing it up and staying it against the king, he said, okay. You're departed out of the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. Mm. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Wow, the priest. Wow. I remember, Brother Kyle, this probably will date me and it will show that I'm a little bit further down the road than you, but I remember when the, the scandals of Jimmy Schweigert and James Baker, Jim Baker, came out. How many of you remember that? You remember that? You know, I would say that before that, the respect for the preacher was much higher. I know that to be the case. In fact, I have an evangelist friend who's in West Virginia that said he lost support from his radio ministry after that happened, a good bit of support. I have another man that I met who's a Pentecostal evangelist and, and a, a godly man. He knows and loves the Lord. Uh, his name is Larry Lundstrom, and he and his brother Lowell traveled all over. Anybody here recognize those names? Lowell and Larry Lundstrom traveled all over the Midwest preaching and really used of the Lord. Larry is in his 80s. Now, of course, Jim Baker was a Pentecostal, and so was Jimmy Schweigert. But he said before that he was preaching every night to crowds of six to eight hundred. He said after that he preached to 150. Why? Because the sin in the pulpit, the sin amongst the priesthood brought shame. Well, back then that was the late 80s. I remember it because I was in Minneapolis. I was still in high school. And I remember in the late 80s how that happened. The story broke with the Charlotte Observer. And, of course, the press has never been a friend of preachers ever. And, uh, of course, they've only gotten more caustic. 
But, you know, I, I think about this. This is pretty important. They talk about the president's approval rating right now is at 36%, which is pretty low. They talk about the Senate and the Congress. Their approval rating is low. That's not good. Those in leadership should be held in high esteem because they live a life that is exemplary. But you know what a lot of people haven't talked about? The approval rating of preachers. The respect amongst preachers. Now, folks, look here. Listen carefully. There ought to be a, a high and a deep respect for preachers just because of their office. There should be a high and a deep respect for preachers because of their life. They live a life that is exemplary. There certainly should be a, a high respect for preachers amongst God's people. But when their life is not exemplary, and when God's people don't show respect to the office of the preacher, and when the preacher begins to live a life that dishonors God, when the preacher's honor is low, it affects everything. And you know what I believe? I believe when apostasy creeps in to the pulpit, then anarchy creeps in to the nation. And we are right now on the verge of anarchy. Why? It's because of what's happening. He says, I also have made you contemptible and base. Why? Because the sacrifice wasn't lifted up. Worship of God wasn't important. The way people approached the Lord wasn't important. Notice, have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother? By profaning the covenant of our fathers. Is this a question from a loving God or from a rebellious people? This is from a rebellious people. Maybe the prophet is getting to them and they say, whoa, why do we deal treacherously every man? Verse number 11, Judah hath dealt treacherously and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles, uh, out of the tabernacles of Jacob. And him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. I think that these verses, verse 10, 11, 12, 13, are from a rebellious people who have been confronted in their rebellion. Maybe they're from the priests. And the Lord is saying, hey, you need to get this right. Verse number 13, he says, And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. Maybe somebody amongst them is saying, hey, we better come to our senses. Hey, this rebellious questioning, this rebellious line of reasoning, it's not good. Yet ye say, wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Maybe it's Malachi that's saying this. Maybe he's saying, this isn't a good path. We need to change our course. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit and wherefore one that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Even the marriage had been desecrated. The priesthood had been desecrated. The sacrifice had been desecrated. And then this holy institution called marriage has been desecrated. And he's there dealing treacherously. Verse number 16, for the Lord, the God of Israel has said, uh, said, saith that he hateth putting away for one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or where is the God of judgment? All right, look at verse number 17. Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? Is that from a loving God or from a rebellious people? rebellious people. And look, so now it seems like to me, maybe you can correct me, those of you that are deep Bible scholars here, that verses 10 through 16 are Malachi or somebody else saying, we better come to our senses. We better not let this thing pass. God has been so kind and so gracious to call this to attention. I appreciate so much what our sister said in Sunday school, that we need to be willing to take correction from somebody that tells us what we don't want to hear. Oh, that's a sign of huge maturity. Oh, no, no, you don't want to know what I don't want to tell you. 
For anybody to tell you something that is contrary to the way that you're going takes courage. It takes character. And so when somebody does it, you know they're a real friend. You know they're really walking with the Lord. Take it. Receive it. And that's what Malachi is doing. And yet you say, wherein have we wearied him? We haven't wearied him. Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And where's the God of judgment? He doesn't care about this anyway. God doesn't care about all these things we're we're all worried about. Look at chapter 3 quickly. Chapter 3. He says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Oh. Well, when, when you read the Bible, you should always look for Jesus. Okay? When you read the Old Testament, this is a key point of Bible interpretation. He's preacher, you're talking about hermeneutics? Yeah. You say, I got some of those little, aren't those little fuzzy animals running around in your basement in the middle of winter? No. Hermeneutics is the way you study the Bible and the way you interpret the Bible. And there's some basic rules. One is the principle of first mention. One is, uh, one is context, context, context. One is we, you see, when the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense or it will be nonsense. Uh, another is we seek the historical, grammatical, uh, literal interpretation of the Bible. Uh, those are basic rules. But here's a basic rule of interpretation. Look for Jesus. When you find Jesus in a passage, you will have unlocked some keys. And Jesus is right here in verse 1, the Messiah. Look at it. Verse number 1, chapter 3. Behold, I will send messengers, uh, my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Who's that? That's our Lord, our Savior. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. I think this is Malachi still speaking the words of the Lord and the burden of the Lord. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. He's saying this, Malachi saying this, someday the Lord will come and he'll fix this whole mess. Someday the Lord will come and he will not allow the priesthood to be desecrated and he won't allow the sacrifice to be desecrated and he's going to purify the sons of Levi so that they can actually offer an offering of righteousness. Verse number four, look at it. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And I will come near to you to judgment and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers. That would be a false accuser. And against those that oppress the hireling in his wages. In other words, the, the masters that don't give a proper wage. The widow and the fatherless. And that turn aside uh, the, the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless. And that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. Ooh, who's this? Well, this isn't necessarily uh, just the Lord. This is the Lord speaking through Malachi. But he says, I'm, I'm going to fix it. Malachi says, the Lord's coming. He's going to enter into this temple. He'll clean up the priesthood. He'll clean up the sacrifice. He'll fix the institution of marriage. And he'll fix and he'll deal with and send judgment to the sorcerers. Do you ever feel like there's a great deal of injustice right now? Good is called evil and evil is called good. The good are thrown in jail and judged and the evil never seem to get their just rewards. I mean, it's like every day we say, What? The judge declared this. The Supreme Court decided. The governor said this. What are these people that lost their ever-loving minds? That's justice. Because Isaiah said truth is fallen in the streets. Judge, justice and judgment have, have been desecrated. But when the Lord comes, listen, are you, are you hearing me? I've just preached on the millennium on, on Friday. When the Lord comes, it is going to be pure judgment from his throne. Adulterers won't get away with it. False accusers won't get away with it. The, the, the people that oppress the hireling and the widow and the fatherless, they won't get away with it. Hmm. Verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Wow. Now what, what, watch me, watch me. Does anybody know the name? of God's attribute that is referenced here in verse 6. Uh, I just want to see what you're thinking. And you might want to write it down in the margin. Anybody know what, it, what is the name of his attribute? Yep, his, he's immutable. He does not change. But look, you know, we always focus on that. But look at how he is emphasizing his immutability. 
Verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. What is a secondary attribute that is good and emphasized because of his immutability? Yeah, his mercy. He says, you better thank your, you better thank the Lord, not your lucky stars. You better thank the Lord that I don't change. Otherwise, you sons of Jacob would be wiped out. Wow. Amen. Praise the Lord. Look at what he says in verse number six. Verse seven, even the days from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Is that from a loving God or from a rebellious people? A loving God. Wonderful. Return unto me and, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But she said, wherein shall we return? Question, 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 question. Wow, this is powerful. That's their question. Is that question, wherein shall we return? Or, and there's how. Wherein is the idea of how? How shall we return? You can't, can't serve God. How, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? They're looking around. Watch. You think about it from sitting in their perspective down here in the pew. Sometimes a preacher needs to sit in the pew for a little bit. They're sitting down here in the pew, and the preacher's saying, Return to me, saith the Lord, and I will return to you. And the people in the pew are saying, There's no justice. The priesthood is corrupted. The sacrifice is, is polluted. The institution of marriage is desecrated. There's adulterers and false accusers and people that oppress the hireling and the widow and the fatherless. How's that even possible? Is there anybody in the pew asking that question? Preacher gets up, Brother Gilstrap says, We're having revival. We want revival. And everybody says, They're going, yeah. I just was on Facebook last night and I'm telling you it ain't happening. <laughs> right? I mean, there's wars and rumors of wars and strife and envy. It's just not happening. Turn to the Lord. That sounds like a pie in the sky preacher idea. Yeah, return to me, saith the Lord. And they're saying, how are we going to do that? So maybe they're asking in rebellion. Maybe they're asking out of desperation. Maybe there were some good people in the pew that were saying, how is this even possible? Look at verse 8. God gives them a specific answer. Look at it. Verse number 8, he says, will a man rob God? Is that a question from a loving God or from a rebellious people? Loving God. Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? What does God answer? In tithes and offerings. Isn't that interesting? That's super interesting to me. Watch this. In tithes and offerings, he says, that's how you've robbed me. You say, how are we going to get right with how is this? Return to me and I'll return to you. And the guy in the pew says, yeah, right. It's a desecrated pew and desecrated priest to desecrated sacrifice and institution of marriage. Now, how, how's that even possible? So the Lord goes right to their pocketbook. Do you know your pocketbook and your heart are connected? This inseparable. Someone said this most sensitive nerve in a man's body runs from his heart to his pocketbook. I believe that. I believe that. Uh, whenever I start talking about money, my wife starts to go into anaphylactic shock. <laughs> Say, honey, let's give this or let's do that. She, she gets all nervous about it. Goes, Why? Because it's connected. It's connected to how we live. It's, and, and that's no fault on my wife. That she's, that's just connected to us. You know, we, we start saying, wait, 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 oh, wait, 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 we were in Italy several years ago when her parents were missionaries there. And uh, we were just wanting to feed her p- the pigeons. And my wife, I'm being a little transparent here. My wife gets this honestly from her dad. And her dad is very careful with money and not wanting to get. And all we wanted was a little bit of money so we could feed the pigeons. And he was like, I'll give you a little money. <laughs> we all just busted up laughing. You'd have to have been there to understand. But anyway, uh, it, it, it's just, it, why? Because money is connected to our heart. And so God says, return to me and I'll return to you. And the people say, yeah, look around you. How's that going to happen? Well, he says, you can start with your pocketbook. Interesting, isn't it? Your heart right with God says, there's an opportunity to give. You better believe I'll be in on it. A heart not right with God says, it's my money. Keep your nose out of my financial affairs. 
preacher's always talking about money. What right does he have think he'd talk about money, telling me i got to give? Well, just in case you didn't know this, Jesus spoke three times more about giving than he did about heaven and hell combined. Hmm. You want to fix the problem? Start with your giving. Verse number nine, you're cursed with a curse. Remember I said, I'm going to curse your blessing if you don't fix this problem. Hey, the reason that the priesthood is desecrated is partly the priesthood, but it's also partly what you're giving. You're cursed with a curse for you have robbed me. You're giving your worst. You're giving your leftovers. You're giving your last. God deserves our best. He gives it, deserves our first. He says, you're cursed with a curse for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and ye shall not destroy, he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what God says? Wait here. There are a couple promises in the Bible. There are three. I can think of three specific promises in the Bible that are powerful, like airtight. All of them are God's promises, so they're all true. Watch this now. But watch. There are three promises that are particularly very interesting. Watch what he says here. Number one, Matthew 18, he says, he says, I, you seek me. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Okay, and, and it's a powerful promise of prayer. It's like a, a double positive. It's absolutely, absolutely going to happen. Then there's a second promise when in the book of Psalm he says, uh, he, says, uh, he says to them, He that goeth forth and reapeth, bearing precious seed, weepeth, shall doubtless. There's another. It's not just a promise. It's a super, super promise. And this promise right here. Malachi chapter 3. He says, prove me now. It's the only time in the Bible he says, Here's the promise. Prove me. Test me. Don't you, don't you men want to do that? I want to do that with my truck. I want to test it to its absolute limit. It says it can pull 32,000 pounds. I only have 20,000 pounds. I want to see what another 15,000 pounds looks like. And so does my wife and family, so they pack the trailer. Anyway, uh, I, I, want to, I want to just test it. I want to not only test its weight limit and pull capacity, I want to test its speed. And sometimes my boys do. Dad, have you ever gotten? Have you ever gotten? speed limit up over a hundred and I say <laughs> yeah you you why well you want to test it and God says test me prove me prove if I'll not open to you the windows of heaven and what is this connected to finances so you can be over here with the people that don't really want to fix the problem by the way people that don't want to give don't want to fix the problem a ministry that doesn't cost you anything is worth the same Okay, but the people that want to fix the problem, they say, hey, let's, whatever money needs to be, we'll, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out, and we'll pay for it. We'll get this thing done. Wow, what a promise. And God says he'd rebuke the devourer. Look at verse 12. All nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Uh, yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? There's another question from a rebellious people. Uh, we, we haven't spoken against you. You say we're guilty, but we're, we're innocent. Uh, they must have been teenagers. Verse 14. Ye have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? Wow. See what they're saying? It's, it's no use to serve God. It's profitless. It's worthless. And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they work, that work witness, wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. They, then they that fear the Lord spake often one to another. He's, this is Malachi speaking. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and book of remembrance was written before him. For them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth not. So how does chapter 3 start? It starts saying... Uh, my messenger's coming before me. He's going to prepare the way. And the Lord will come to the temple and he'll fix all this mess. You just wait. Look at chapter 4 and we're through. He says, For behold, the day cometh that that shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. 
This is from a loving God. He's saying, you better fix this problem because our God judges righteously. He's come in chapter 3. He's the one that will fix the problem in chapter 3. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes unto the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb. For all Israel with the statutes and judgments, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." Wow, it's like the whole last chapter of Malachi is from a loving God. And he's saying, chapter 3, he's saying, hey, my, I'm coming. I'm coming to the temple, and I'm going to fix this mess. And he comes in chapter 3 and chapter 4, and he says, hey, he says, my judgment's going to burn as an oven, but to all those that follow me, I'll take care of you, and it'll be all right. Wow. And that's how that's that's basically how he starts in chapter two. He says, from the rising of the sun to the going down, the same my name shall be praised. The Gentiles are going to praise me and all those that love me and worship me and follow me. They'll praise me. The Lord's basically saying, hey, you get on board with my program and with my word. and It's going to be OK. You don't. It's not going to be OK. Amen. This is the conversation that God had with a rebellious people just before he went silent. Do you suppose 50 years into it, people might have taken Malachi serious? Hey, sometimes a preacher thinks, well, what good is it? Is anybody even listening to me? You know, it's like I'm preaching every service to a 1.30 service right after they've eaten. <laughs> is, is anybody paying any attention to, to what's going on, you know? But I bet a hundred years after it, people started to study Malachi. I bet 150 to 200 years after it, people started to study Malachi. I bet 350 years after it, people said, what was it that Malachi said? Now we're six, seven generations removed. I bet 400 years people were studying, and we know, we know they were. There was a man named Simeon and a lady named Anna who were looking for the coming of the Lord. And they were studying what the preacher had to say. And then the Lord came, and his messenger broke the silence. And Jesus appeared on the scene, and they knew it was going to be all right. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, help us to heed this conversation between a loving God and a rebellious people. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us not to be rebellious with our questions.